no, this is important to us as a company. This is something that we're going to invest in. And when we invest in it, that's how we're going to see the results and be able to measure them. You don't have the ROI case beforehand. And, and my comment was, well, yeah, it's like building a product team. When you're building a product team, you don't ask, what's the ROI in me hiring engineers to build my product? It's, no, you, you, you need to build your product. Welcome to C-Lab, the customer education lab, where we explore how to build customer education programs, experiment with new approaches, and take all of those myths and bad advice and send them promptly into the rehabilitation center. Uh, I'm Adam Evermescu. And I am Dave Darrington. And today is uh, one of our absolute favorite international day ofs. It is National Waitstaff Day. National Waitstaff Day. I love it. They, yeah, they don't forget to tip your weight. Get a lot of respect in COVID times. Absolutely, they. I mean, they've been essential workers in every sense of the word. <laughs> so let's uh, let's get into this today. We've got a really great episode ahead, and here at C Lab, one of our main goals is to keep you updated on also the research and reports that are coming out of the customer education world, especially, especially when they address the state of our industry, our new practice of customer education. So today funky we have a little two- world of customer education, <laughs> the funky little world today, Adam, what we have two great reports, right? We have TSIA's 2021 state of education services and thought Industries 2021 state of customer education. So a lot to cover today. Yeah. It's the, it's really the state of the state. And we like these reports because they come at the research from slightly different angles. TSIA, it's a third-party industry association, it's the Tech- Technology Services Industry Association. Uh, we've covered their reports many times on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and so th- they're, they're able to take that more independent perspective. Whereas you've got Thought Industries, who is a customer education company, right? They, so they're talking about their customers doing the work. They can, they can see... Uh, what behaviors their their customers are putting into practice with both of them. And, and we'll talk a little bit about the methodology um, can still cast a wide net uh, as far as talking to customers who are at, or companies, I should say, who are at different sizes, different industries. Um, so it's, it's interesting just seeing it uh, com- coming at it from a couple of different angles. Yeah. So, well, let's dive into these reports. And, and I think what's most important to us, Adam, as, you know, peers and, and, thought leaders in this industry, or I guess we could call ourselves that to some degree. We want to know what the trends I, I are. I prefer not to, but <laughs> you can. Um, I self-identify as a thought laggard personally. A thought laggard. I kind of yeah. like that. You're, you're I'm trailing just, I'm just along for the ride. <laughs> um, so uh, getting into this, we're going to recommend that you download these reports, go on to each of the TSIA and Thought Industries website and check them out, read them in detail. There's a lot of good stuff in there, material that you can share with your leadership and your peers and your team. Um, yeah, we're deliberately but, not going to spoil all the information in there because we want you to read the reports. So the TSIA report is at uh, tsia.com in the resources section. Uh, Thought Industries report, thoughtindustries.com. Uh, they have an e- ebook and report section on their site. All right. Well, are you ready to dive in? I'm ready as I'll ever be. Cool. Okay. Let's dive in and start with the TSIA report. Um, so this is the yearly report that um, Maria Manning Chapman does. Uh, it's from TSIA's 
education services research practice. So tell yeah. me a little bit more about your your perception of this going into it. Well, so we, we've had Maria Manning Chapman on the show. Uh, I'd, I'd like to think she is a friend of the show. She mm-hmm. leads this practice and writes the report from a perspective of having really deep industry expertise, uh, as well as from the perspective of TSIA's member organizations who are primarily, as the name implies, education services organizations. So right. you'll see when we think about this report, some of the perspective here skews towards teams who are offering more services-based education programs uh, and typically teams who are generating revenue. Yeah, and that's, I, I think that's worthy of a little bit of sidebar discussion here, Adam, that so when we talk education services formally, what comes to mind for me is education services has been around for a while, right? It's, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think going back all the way to the, the good old butts and seats days, you know, where we're going to big on-site trainings for a week at a time and stuff like that. And now we're, we've entered as a new practice or discipline serving more of those rapidly scaling companies. And, and the differentiation is that we call ourselves customer education. There's differences. And I think what this these reports can do is help show like how the thinking and the motions that we have in education are shifting more skewing more towards these sort of the practices that we do. Um, now it's super interesting to consider going back to the TSI, this perspective, because this year Maria in particular challenges customer education orgs pretty directly to be, I like this term shot ready. What in the heck does that mean? <laughs> I didn't know either when I read this, cause I'm not <laughs> like a big, uh, I'm not a big basketball person, but here in Oakland, we are, big fans of Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors. Um, and, you know, Steph Curry specifically is known for his ability to pretty much land a shot at any time, right? He's like a great shooter. Yeah. You can do it in a moment's notice. And so that's what being shot ready is all about. Like no matter where you are on the court, you're ready to make that shot. Cool. Well, I think what comes to mind for me, and, you know, I've read this report as well, how does he do that? You know, he, he does that. He does his job well, not by really being incredibly flashy or showy, right? I mean, we think of that as a superstar hero. You're the leader on the court in, in the basketball industry. But even what he says, it's through deep practice on the fundamentals. Practice, practice, yeah. practice. So in, in this report, Maria challenges customer ed leaders to be shot ready by mastering the fundamentals and argues that, and this is this is a hard swallow, I think, but I think it's honest, that most of us just aren't actually shot ready. We're not ready. What do you think about Dave, that? Dave, are, are you saying this is kind of like the Hamilton problem? You're saying a lot of customer education teams might not be young, scrappy, and hungry, and they're throwing away their shot. Yeah, pretty much. It's interesting. We got to go get into this. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you, you kind of called this out, right? Like, She's talking when she talks about those fundamentals. We'll we'll kind of pull this away from the basketball analogy for a moment. It's it's the idea that these education teams are chasing this really lofty goal of product adoption, driving product adoption growth. Um, yeah. And it, for many for many of these teams, that means moving away from this older world where they were focused on being these standalone P and Ls, generating their own bookings, margin, revenue, right? Services teams. That's what services teams do, but. Increasingly, we're starting to realize, okay, as education services teams, 
maybe we don't just exist to perpetuate ourselves. Maybe we really exist to grow uh, our, our SaaS products and really to grow customer uh, adoption over time because that's really what our company yeah. is trying to do. That's what gets us a seat at the table. Um, but, but for all these teams who, are, who maybe are making the transition or for some who are starting from scratch and just haven't really built up that maturity yet, you called this out, like education services has been around for a while, but these teams still aren't getting the basic mechanics right. What do you make of that? Well, it's bothersome for one, and it's really interesting for two that, okay, we've been around for a while. Things It, it, it shows that things have palpably changed and you know, you know, one of one of my like overarching thoughts is that we actually have kind of adopted and ingratiated ourselves into this world of customer success, where we're thinking about time to value, adoption, like all the things. We want the customers that we have to be like us. We want to use the product, right? Yeah. And that's really the the north star that of everything that we can do, we want to be see people actually using that product. So, you know, I, I think we should start dipping into these fundamentals as uh, Maria calls them out. We could start with the first one, which is actually getting training into the hands of the customers. Yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> without explaining too much of the actual data in that report, again, we want you to read it. You, you definitely need to check it out. A training attach rates. Let's talk about that. And a training attach rate is, you know, how many people from an account who actually went and consumed your training on demand live, whatever format that you have. Well, these rates are really low still, and yeah. they are not trending upwards at all. That's, I mean, what do you think about that? That's, that's pretty bold and interesting. Yeah. It's, it's stuck at a ridiculously low rate. And I mean, anecdotally, we know that that's kind of true in the sense that you talk, you go and talk to other customer education programs, especially those right who are offering customer education services or those who have their, their content gated and you ask, you know, Hey, how many of your customers are, are, are getting trained? And those who can even answer the question, are, that's a struggle for them, right? Like both to answer the question because the data isn't always available, but also when you can't answer the question, usually the, the attach rates are still pretty low because customers uh, are signing up to use your product, but they just aren't getting trained. So I, I agree. I mean, I, I think it's a pretty prevalent problem and Maria's hit the nail on the head, but it, you know, there, there could be maybe some sort of, uh, there, there could be something to the structure of this question, right? Cause it's like education attached here is measured by actual like education that is getting sold either with uh-huh. a, a product, like as part of a net new sale or with an expansion where the, co- the company releases a, a new product and then training gets attached to that. So that's, that's kind of defining it specifically. Are there other ways maybe that education is getting into the hands of customers that aren't reflected in that uh, number? Uh, yeah. I mean, there's other ways you could uh, package up your training, if that's what you're alluding to. Like, how do we want to get training into the hands of a customer? Well, you could be packaged with other offers or well, heck, you could just deliver it in the product itself. You know, we could have we could have little you know pop ups and things that help guide people. Um, I think there's a lot of ways to do it, and it's just yeah. a matter of like we need to think more. We need to think broadly. I mean, it, it's not. And I'm kind of going off script here a little bit from thinking you know our our thoughts and responses to this, but 
when I think about engagement, it's really not a, it, training is never done. Education is never done. What was it? Asimov that said something like that, that, you know, you're on a journey to the, learn. Uh, fourth, and fourth law of robotics, I believe. Yeah. You're, <laughs> I'm glad you have that tip of your fingers, or at least the internet helped you out. Um, but we want to continue a journey, a conversation with a customer over time. You know, I know my trainers say this to me all the time that we'll have a 60 minute session, a 90 minute session. And you know what? Everything's getting stuffed into your head and then you forget it. You know, we know after attending DevLearn and, and other training classes, like on microlearning, they say you lose like 90% of everything you've learned in a day. So we're, we're thinking all these other packages and all these other ways to get the content in the hand of the customers, or at least to have them cognizant and aware that it's there so they can come back and use it when they're, when they need to, or it's there in front of them in the moment. Yeah, I mean, while That's while we're while we're very off script here, like that ninety <laughs> that ninety percent stuff, it's it's true and it's not. Um, Fair, yeah, because a lot of that ninety percent stuff is based off of Ebbinghaus, the Ebbinghaus forgetting curve, mm-hmm. and the Ebbinghaus forgetting curve is based on someone's ability to remember nonsense syllables. It's not actually based on their ability to maintain, uh, to retain information that was relevant to them or information that's going to fit any schema in their brain. So, like in a way, right. In a way, all of that research that's predicated on the Ebbinghaus forgetting curve or on the idea that inf- this information just leaks out of your head, um, it's true, but it's true for the wrong reasons. It's inf- information that's not relevant to you or doesn't have any any like grounding in your prior knowledge or in relevance to you. Yes, of course, that's going to leak out of your head because you're not going to do anything with it. So we have to be careful here. Right. Um, and and we'll, we'll come back to the report probably after this, because this is going to turn into a huge <laughs> instructional design tangent. Um, but the reports actually do talk about relevance. So <laughs> uh, I, I think the point here is, yes, there are other ways to get training in front of your, your customers, but often, you know, and I think the, the low uh, uh, training attach rates here kind of reflect this, is that we're probably not doing a good enough job uh, bringing customers our training in a way that really feels relevant that will provide value to them and will ultimately uh, lead to better consumption. I think that's, that's part of where the failure is here. We're like doing yeah. training to check the box. Yeah. Yeah. So, which is not what we really want to do overall. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know, Dave, like this is, this is a thorny issue. Like what, <laughs> what else do we have to say about education attached here? Um, well, well, let's talk a little bit more about, how do we put this? This is just really interesting, right? You know, many of the folks that are listening today to our podcast I, may not even have education services packaged to begin with. And they may yeah. not be thinking, we're just starting out, right? We're just starting yeah. to get material surfaced and in the hands of the customers. And as we've said, what's really important is like, well, let's just get that there. And there's not necessarily a training package that a sales team can sell along with like, well, let's say we're doing it for free, if included in subscription. We've got training, we've got on-demand content on university, maybe we've got something we can offer, but it's really, it's kind of like part of everything. It's not actually outright called out. And that's its own problem because in many cases, we don't know how many customers are actually getting training who should be, and if we generalize from the report, we're coming back to the report now, we can kind of conclude that no matter what sort of education team you're running, you got to aim to figure out what percentage of your new customers 
where customers are purchasing new products or existing customers, but now, you know, like at Outreach, we've just launched Kaya and Insights, and we're launching Plants, all these new fundamentally meaty things. How do we ensure training is actually getting to the end goal, like getting to the customer in the hand so they can see it, right? Yeah, um, I think that's the good that's the good analogy to draw here because if you're an ed- if you're like a pure education services team, which I think a lot of TSIA's customers are, certainly not all TSA TSA TSIA, excuse yeah. me, uh, initialisms are hard. Uh, has a variety of of uh, a variety of programs in their in their membership base, but. If you're like yeah. a pure education services team, then kind of like the fundamental unit that you're thinking about is what is my offering? Like what is my SKU that I can add onto an order form and sell, like have the account executive sell along with whatever software I'm selling. And this is this is like a, a foreign language for a new customer education team and especially a new customer education team who's not really focused on developing anything that is uh, sellable, right? Like if your primary charter as a team yeah. is to deliver uh, knowledge-based content and a, a free academy and ongoing webinars, then like, yeah, that stuff needs to get into the hands of the customers, but it's not going to be uh, pitched and sold the same way. So that's the analogy that I draw in my in my head is instead of thinking about like training attach, you, you you're still thinking about training consumption. Consumption. Yeah, that's that second point, right? That driving that content consumption is actually kind of difficult. I mean, it should be simple, but what, you know, if you're training people to adopt adopt the product, then you, then to your point, we need, we want, we desire for our customers to actually consume the training that we have. Yeah. That's, I mean, and then you have to measure that. <laughs> it's pretty fundamental and, and not everyone knows the, the answer to that. Um, you know, the, I think the report argues it's it's not just about getting train, training into the hands of the customers. It's not just about attaching it to a deal. It's really about <clears throat> actively consumption planning and making sure that if you delivered uh, training to someone or if you've given them the option to take training, that they're then actually going and doing the training. Is this not is, is this common sense? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it is. It, well, it's, actually. Actually, I'd argue that it is common sense, but it's hard. You know, I like yeah. think about you're just starting out and you don't really have, like I talk to people pretty pretty regularly like you do, and particularly those who are just starting out, they're like, well, what do I do? Where do I start? And, and, it's, and the thing that I always recommend is, okay, don't worry about an LMS. Don't worry about all these highfalutin things that you could have, your tech stack. Make some training modules. Get some on-demand courses. Use GoToMeeting. Whatever you got, just start. And record them and start working from them. That's where we start, right? And you can measure how people are consuming that. You can export your go to webinar mm-hmm. or Zoom trainings. You can go through, like, if you actually do have, I mean, you might be able to get not individual stuff, but let's say you use Wistia or Vidyard or something like that to surface videos. You can see who's consuming them. And even some of them have really good information about how much consumption is going on, not tied to an individual, but you can do it. Not, yeah, absolutely. Not that hard. Yeah, I, I was talking to someone earlier today who was trying to figure out how to uh, measure engagement on their program, and they didn't have an LMS, um, mm-hmm. and they don't know if they're going to get an LMS. But what they do have and can start to plug into is a marketing automation system, so they can at least see, you know, when people are getting uh, queued to do a certain thing in the product or are taking the next step in their implementation, they can be queued via their marketing automation uh-huh. platform to go take the next step 
uh, because that is a trigger that the marketing automation system can tell if the customer did or didn't do it, it can branch them off to the next step based on that. So you can see, at least based on that information, like not necessarily in your LMS, but in your marketing automation platform, which emails are getting opened, which people are on which step, uh, and you can start to respond to that data as well. Yeah. You know, I, I like some of the D- TSIA's research here. They said only 26% of the respondents have a consumption scorecard, you know, something that you'd use to defen- identify who is consuming and who is under-consuming. And what's the number? Uh, uh, 28% have a playbook that, to your point, what you are just talking about, that can be used to prompt learners along the path. Yeah. So for teams that don't have that in place, the first question might be something like, well, how do I know if my customers are actually getting trained and how do I drive them to take the trip? If we're, if we're using a marketing automation system, we can start getting that. Chances are that you have the information, but it just might be a manual process at first that you run once. Like I used to do this at first when I first started out once a month. I would go and get all the data sources I can, munge them together and then go, look, you know, I can see this many people went through and looked at this video and did this and I'm getting this feedback from surveys. So you can, you can sidle up to it, but I'm not going to say it's not hard. It's, it's definitely not trivial. No, but you know, that, that 28% number, that's, that's pretty low, right? What, what that's telling that's me is low. that less than a third of the people that TSIA surveyed here even really had a, like a strategy essentially around how they were going to uh, drive consumption And so Mm -hmm. what you're talking about here is really connecting all the dots, closing all the loops, making sure that there is a way to, you know, button this up and automate it, but you don't necessarily need to be at that level. Um, Like have a manual consumption plan, have a way for your CSMs to check in on whether their customer has done training at a certain point and prompt them to do it if they haven't like that stuff, that's not easy. Um, but you kind of need that in place before you're really doing the more automated version of it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I think those numbers are low and I think that's exactly what the TSIA report is responding to here. The fact that you've got all these education services teams out there saying, Hey, you know what? Our North star is product adoption, but they're failing to even get customers to, uh, purchase training or to consume the training once they've purchased it. And it's like, well, how are you going to drive product adoption as a training team if you aren't even getting people trained? But I, I, I think it goes into more. Go ahead. Go ahead. I just saw you make the face. Oh, no, I was just thinking, yeah, the, I'm, I'm reflecting on this and I'm thinking more about it. You, I think you said something in our, you know, in, in our notes and our thought process about building this session about a consum- even having a consumption plan. You know, I, I'll be totally transparent about this. There have been times in my customer education career where I don't have time for a plan. I'm just like, oh my God, we got a lot to do. And I'm grinding, 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 grinding to get the content out, right? Yeah. But in, in those moments of remediation, I call it like a remediation effort. And, you know, I've had a couple of those where I just need to fill in the gaps, get the material there. And sometimes I have moved forward so fast to get that content that I haven't forgotten or neglected it, but deprioritized the consumption strategy at that moment. And that's easy to forget then, right? If you're not thinking about these proactively, I want to know, okay, well, I'm going to, it's, it's your classic. I don't think you mentioned this yet, but it's your classic. If you build it, they won't come, you know, phrase where. I don't know if I've said it. I've thought it several times during this conversation. 
Yeah, you thought it. I, I, we get, we're at that reading mind stage. That's great. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, just because you build the stuff, it doesn't mean in any way uh, we fall back into this mode of we have to be marketing. We have to be promoting and advocating for our own content. Because to be frank, a lot of times education teams kind of get put into the periphery. You know, as, as long as you could check the box and a leader says, I've got education, that's enough. But it's not enough. We need to be brought to the front. Yeah. So, so I mean, going along those lines, if you build it, they won't come. So that means that we're, we're constantly in the position of really needing to make sure that we're, we're marketing our own tools effectively. So yeah, some of that is consumption planning. And again, doesn't need to be like a huge built out strategy. You could even be saying to your CSMs, Hey, you know, before we have uh, more automation built out around this, you've got a customer, they're going to hit their 30, 60, 90 day milestone with the product. Um, why don't you check in with them at the 30, 60, 90 days? Uh, see which of the cust- which of their individuals were trained, which of their individuals weren't trained. Make recommendations to them about what to do next. Again, not that's not easy, that's not scalable, but that is something that you can do. That is a consumption plan that is arguably much better than doing nothing. But you can start to get a little bit more uh, sophisticated about the way that you market this too. And a lot of it is positioning and having the right offerings in your portfolio to be able to do it. So we talked about relevance earlier, and if you're offering training that doesn't meet the customer's needs and isn't compelling to them. For instance, a lot of orgs just offer this very generic 101 product knowledge content. It's a a knowledge dump. It's an info dump. It's everything that the company or the subject matter expert thought was relevant for the customer to learn, but does nothing to address what maybe they actually found relevant as they were learning the product for the first time. It's just like what they think needs to be stuffed into the, the customer's head. So if you have a program like that, you are going to have a hell of a tough time getting learners to actually consume the training. In a way, you have to continue marketing to them at every stage. So this is where like a consumption plan or a playbook can really help. Yeah, that's that's for definite. And, and going back to one of the points we made a little earlier, keeping learners engaged, keeping them consuming content. You know, again, we're not trying to spoil the data here, but prompts show a huge meaningful impact on consumption as well. And then when when they're when we're tying all this stuff together and learners are receiving their prompts, you're seeing you know a huge spike in the total hours that uh, learners consume. Yeah, go so go look at the report. Like the numbers are dramatic here with prompts versus without prompts. It's meaningful. Yeah, that's that's a good one. Yeah. So what's the so third a- uh, what's What's the third call out here? Yeah, well, this is this is kind of where we were headed. It's, it's around aligning training content with offers. So in other words, the training you create should align to a stage of the customer journey that the customer's in. Um, if you're doing all of your training that's just either just based on the implementation or the launch phase, or if you haven't really thought about how a customer is going to continue to engage with training as their, their journey goes on, then you might be missing the mark. So... Um, you know, this is this is kind of about aligning your training to a product adoption curve or a customer journey map, um, and making sure that really feels relevant to what the customer is actually trying to do. Yeah, that's cool. You know, the, the report actually offers up a content development methodology that I like. We, we you know we've at length talked about Addy, we've talked about Sam, we've talked about all these things, but talked about this Lama. is. <laughs> yeah, uh, we've. It, it was interesting to see TSIA's own model of you know, discover, design, create, launch, grow. You can see that in a report. I won't you know, dwell on it. Um, it's only going to a little bit of a different twist and based on what your customers actually need 
to be successful with your product. I think that's super cool. Yeah, like it's not just a content development methodology, it's a market research methodology. So you're actually doing the work to figure out where the gaps are, what what will actually make your customers successful at using your product. And now, instead of just going and saying, hey, we need course A, B, and C, and D, because there's these pieces of content that we have to deliver, or like these topics that we have to cover, you're actually saying, hey, look, we've looked at what our customers need and, and what's going to help them grow and what's actually going to help them adopt the product. And therefore, we are putting together these pieces of content that will that will address that. But you're even going beyond just content. Um, an offer doesn't need to be just a course. It can also include, uh, and TSI suggests some options here, like coaching hours or Q&A with instructors, uh, basically different value adds that you can add into a package to make it more compelling and to really help make sure that it's relevant and is going to get consumed. So it's like thinking beyond what enablement is needed, uh, beyond just content to really accelerate the customer's time to value. Yeah, that's super cool. Now, I love this, Adam, because it really puts you in the customer's shoes. So, it, you know, if you're thinking about what they may not, might might need to be successful to use your product, and and here's something I want to take a moment of like authenticity for this episode in particular, because for once, Dave, you're getting oh, authentic. <laughs> Let's drop the veneer. <laughs> I think a lot of companies fall flat here. You know, you want to tick that box and say, hey, I hired an education team. Yeah, we've got this and we've got to tick the box. And, um, okay, hold on. I got to put this in pause. Stand by. I got an emergency. Okay. Okay, so Adam, this is where I'm thinking that, you know, without intentionality, without some kind of analysis going into this process of building a customer education function, a practice, a discipline. Yeah. I, I, I've talked to companies, I've actually talked to a bunch of leaders who are thinking about building their own team or in the act of doing so. Yeah. And, you know, if any of them are listening out, out there, you know, I welcome like further discussions, of course. But the thing that I want to compel everybody to do before you make your first hire even is think about what, you're, what problem you're trying to solve and use some of your own data of like you should have product information like surveys, NPS, whatever it is. What I like to do when I start at a new company is first get the lay of the land and say, you know, what's the voice? What is that voice of the customer? What what are they really? What is the customers asking? And don't assume mm-hmm. anything. Yeah, and talk, and talk to your customer. Actually, find out what they need. Yeah, and I find this remarkable. And there's a number of cases where it's not just even the customer that you're talking about. It's interdepartmental communications and alignment on what education needs to be. Yeah. And, and what I mean yeah. by that, and you know, I don't want to take it too far in a sidebar here, but the, the thing that I will compel anybody to think about and do is to say, look, I am hiring a customer education leader and I'm building a team because this is the problem I want to solve. I know that my product adoption is abysmal mm-hmm. and and where people aren't using it, I've got high churn, you know, my CAC LTV ratio is out of whack, you know, whatever it is. And if you know it, bring that to the table and then scope out what things you want that leader to start with. Because, and I say this for a reason, because it's so easy for a training and education team to become training monkeys and to say, just train them, just train them, just train them. Yeah. What? And then like on, training what, becomes what, the, the solution to everything. It's when, when right. uh, you know, when all you have is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. 
Yeah, and this pro and this actually, you're going to come back to this over and over again. There's been moments, hard solo moments that I've experienced throughout my tenure at each company I've worked for. We're like, okay, now what? Go back to the customer. Let's pivot. Let's see where we're going. So the point is that you you really need to get yourself into those customer shoes and make sure they fit. <laughs> we we want to deliver the best material, but you can't know that if you just say just build training. Yeah. You can assume it might not hit the mark, and you might be you know phenomenally disappointed. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And and you know this will kind of be a, a spoiler alert, I guess, for what we talk about later in the Thought Industries uh, report. You've got more customer education teams spinning up than than ever before, which means there are more leaders yeah. looking to hire for their customer education leaders. And what I would recommend is if you are that executive who is hiring your first customer education person, um, it's amazing, first of all, that more people are getting that light bulb moment like, oh, we need customer education. But there's another step. You don't necessarily need a full vision before you hire for this first role. The person you bring in yeah. as your leader should have some vision. Um, but you need a perspective and you probably need a stronger, more defined perspective than the one that you have today. So I think start asking questions, start digging in with your customers, like really figure out what to, you know, Dave, to your point, like what, what problems you're solving with customer education. Yeah, exactly. and, and I think this also helps get you out of that feature first mindset. So you're not just like knowledge dumping all the, the information you have about every feature, just because like we need, we need the training monkeys to produce the train. I, I think it's like training elves. We need the training elves to <laughs> training um, elves. Produce, I like, like elves better. Training much more elegant. Yeah. Uh, right. Like <laughs> it's about tailoring the educational offerings to reflect where the customer is in the journey, what they need to be able to do, what's most important to learn at this point to be able to do the thing they're trying to do. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a really common pitfall for customer education. You're, you're designing content first instead of learner first. And so the report offers some some other ideas uh, that we won't go into here on how to structure the offers based on the customer journey, what else you can include. And I just really love that what they're thinking about here is how to make the offerings more relevant to the customer. Yeah, I think that's key because if that content isn't relevant, you're not likely to consume it, period. Like, I, yeah. I don't understand what this is for. I'm not going to even look at it. <clears throat> I, I'm a busy person, not lazy, right? <laughs> um, sounds like our manifesto. It sounds like our manifesto. Hmm. Wonder if you should check that out or not. If you haven't, you know, just click the manifesto button at the top of our website, customer.education. A little, uh, little advertisement right there in the middle. Um, Special thanks get... to our uh, theme song written by Alan. Co oh, we're not done yet. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, let's stay on track. The final fundamental is one that I, you know, I, I know I like him personally, but we always harp on it together. It's that collecting and analyzing data is supremely important. And, and perhaps we should even stress that analyzing part above mm -hmm. all things that, you know, collecting data, I think is actually really freaking easy. You know, get an LMS, put content in it. Cool. Things are being tracked. I mean, there's more to it, but that's a, a dramatic oversimplification. You might have Google Analytics and it's pointing to the content. You have a tracking code. You're getting, you're most likely getting data. Insights is so much harder. Mm -hmm. And many organizations aren't actually report or aren't actually reporting that on the impact that education has on product adoption. You know, yeah. Which isn't just about collecting data, it's about connecting data, as you always yeah. say. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I can be transparent, you know, in all the companies I've worked for, this is really hard to get to insight. And, you know, I, uh, 
occasionally I pepper in things about we pepper in things about the products that we work on. And I can say that at Outreach, one of the big products that we've been working on is insights. How do you report on the sales motions and activities and and engagement with a prospect? And that's hugely important. And oh my gosh, you know, that's a whole product. That is a whole product in and of itself. The insights on the product adoption and like how we're interacting with people. And training is very much the same way. Education is very much that same way. We have data but that insights, like how did I impact CSAT? I mean, what are my CSAT scores? Did they go up? Did I have any implement or any impact on our overall quarterly revenue? If I could prove that, like we, we did a talk, gosh, it was a couple of years ago, I think. We did a talk together and we were, um, and we were talking about like how these could get you a promotion, how these, but problem is, is that insights are, are very difficult to munch together and get a clear deconvoluted understanding of how education actually does make an impact and change. It's the second um, time you use the word munge in this. Munge. I, I know it process. just has come, come to the time. You know, we had new vocabulary yeah, no. words introducing. I, I, I agree. Though. <laughs> and like when you're an early stage customer education team, you're not necessarily going to be able to connect all that data and really tell the impact story, but there are things you can do, right, Dave? Like you can get some of yeah. this even manually if you, if you really want manually. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, let's, let's do one stat here from the report. Okay. Only 11% have actually done this analysis at a certain level. Like the analysis of like training data to product adoption data. And, and I even think, um, Maria had said, this is just shocking, you know, for particularly for education services team that claim their product adoption is their North star. Oh my God. You know, that means 89% of those organizations don't have it. And I also feel compelled to say here that it's, you know, like, again, it's exceptionally hard to get to insights. You know, sometimes you're talking a, a data scientist level kind of stuff, which you know, most, of the, most of the time somebody that knows how to manipulate data is important, but there's things that are hard to measure. It takes, and, and the other thing in here, Adam, that you and I both know well and our, our peers know well, it takes a champion. We, we have a fight for resources, particularly because many of us in are in startups. Many of them are growth organizations. And well, who's just like they, the conversation I have is what's more important, the sales revenue marketing in, or sales revenue information or education? Hmm, sales and revenue, probably. I don't disagree with that at all. But education is up there. And, and, and this is a, it's a stealth metric, right? It's going to take you a long time sometimes to get that to win that fight. But you can start it manually. Yeah, and I mean, and this is this is about really proving the the role that education plays in the bigger picture, right? Like, how does education more effectively support the license revenue? So this is it's it's a bit of a chicken and the egg where you have to start yeah. figuring out ways to tell the story so you can get the resources to report on it more programmatically. But I, you know, I think the main thesis of the report here, and and this is this is spicy, this is provocative, and I appreciate that Maria is being provocative about this, is that. Education services teams want to be in the business of product adoption, but what they're actually doing yeah. is saying they want to be in that business while actually just generating activity and, and possibly revenue for themselves. But they're not really doing the legwork to get training into the hands of their customers, making sure they complete it, making it context sensitive to what the customer is really trying to do, or actually analyzing the connection between customer education and product adoption. So they're, they're shooting themselves in the foot. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. This is a hugely provocative report. I love it. I think we need more of it. Maria, great work on this. 
Um, we definitely, again, recommend you check it out on TSIA.com. Amazing. With that, we want to transition over. Let's talk about Thought Industries Report. Yeah, That's another let's, let's really give, let's great give it a, a, a tight twenty, just so we don't don't go over uh, the hour mark. All right, there but you go. I think we can have some meaningful discussion. Um, this is Thought Industries 2021 State of Customer Education Report. Like TSIA, they publish this annually. So this is the third one, and I, I think we've covered the previous two on the show. We've at least done last year's yeah. you know, on the show. At least, at least last year's, as I recall. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what is this report looking at? The real focus here is on how I, I like the the flip here a little bit, the different change of uh, the change of perspective that how organizations are investing in customer education. And that's neat. You know, what are their goals? What are their priorities? And how do they measure the progress against those goals? It's really cool. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this year's report pulls out some really interesting trends. So first of all, it shows that customer education is growing faster than ever before. And anecdotally, Dave, we're, we're seeing that too, right? Yeah. Oh my God. So I'm, I'm going to take this moment just to tell a nice story. It's pretty short, but Adam, it was a couple or three weeks ago and I, you know, I woke up and sometimes in the morning I'll just sit there and just, it, this is terrible practice, probably terrible home work from home hygiene. I'll check my email, look at some stuff on LinkedIn. Um, but it was such a great moment because that morning alone, I saw five different things like two or three new job openings with customer education in the title right? Different mm -hmm. logos, different companies doing it. A couple of people have been promoted. And then somebody else that had like been on a podcast. Like actually, I think there was two people that were on two different podcasts that weren't ours. And like, I can't contain my excitement here because <laughs> that's different and cool because that means that we as a community and, you know, particularly if you are in product, you're in customer success, you're in leadership, you're contributing to this conversation. That's really important. So yes, we are seeing more education jobs open up. We're certainly seeing more activity in our customer education communities, a lot of activity, lots of really amazing questions. And we're seeing more attention from ever and this uh, than ever. And I think this is something you and I have been working on intentionally, Adam, this year is customer success leadership. We are seeing CS leaders and executives. And actually I've been really blown away. If, if those of you are listening Today, thank you for your participation because we need you as leaders to be resonant and challenging your teams and your own organizations um, to invest in this function. Absolutely, and uh, we we do have. Well, speaking of customer success leaders, we have some spicy data coming up around uh, what what <laughs> department customer education rolls into. So we're going to be challenging those exact same listeners that we're very thankful for. Um, it's about taking the next step, right? You've decided you need customer education. Now, how do you really make it go? How do you make it work? But these numbers really point to increased investment. So first of all, there's more new programs out here, like I said earlier, than ever before. 30% mm -hmm. of the respondents in this year, uh, in this year's report, had launched their education program within the year. So you've got a lot of new programs popping up that just never existed before. And it's a huge uptick from previous years. And in both, that's a lot. 30%. I know. Yeah. I mean, granted, some of that could just be who responded to the survey, but I think we could, anecdotally, we also know from having talked to leaders who are looking to build their programs for the first time, this is getting more and more common. More people are deciding that they need a thing that is officially customer yeah. education. 
And in both last year and this year's reports, respondents were reporting that their programs were growing significantly. So the ones that did exist uh, are, are still growing rapidly. Over 90% of the programs grew in the last five years and, and 45% of those, uh, not 45% of the 90, 45% of the total reported significant growth. Yeah. Well, let's get to the money here. Bottom line stuff. As you can imagine, the organizations that had those highest rates of product adoption, okay, again, this product adoption is key in SaaS in particular, XAAS, as Bri will remind us to start saying for sure, um, that customers, companies that invest in this at this high rate of investment see a lot higher product adoption. And then they continue to invest in it because it works. We have the data to prove it, and that's a virtual cycle. Yeah. So, so let's let's dive into that specifically because that's really important. Yeah. Thought Industries looked at the respondents who said they had the highest product adoption growth. So again, let's follow the the hypothesis or the or the central thesis of both of these reports. Uh, if customer education team's north star is product adoption, then what we need to see is what are the companies who had the highest product adoption doing with their customer education programs, right? Uh, that's how we start to look at that attribution. So they split out the cohorts who had the highest product adoption and the lowest product adoption. The ones with the highest increases in product adoption were the same ones who were increasing their investment in customer education. All right, I get it. So in other words, what you're saying... I mean, we can use some numbers here. The companies seeing 50% or more increase in product adoptions are the same ones that are investing in customer success by more than 30%. Hmm. Those are big numbers. Is that causal? Is that correlative? Well, it's correlative. We don't know if it's causal. We don't know if it's causal, yeah. We don't know if it's causal. And often we argue that that's not the most important thing to figure out because customer education data is inherently messy. There's no, there's yeah. not a great way to say for most companies, at least, unless you have millions of people being trained and you can do a true regression model. A lot of the times you kind of have to look at, at the, uh, the effect here and say, okay, for our customers who are increasing their product adoption, like what reason do we believe that, uh, you know, to be able to say that customer education played a strong role in that? Well, you can go talk to your customers and ask them. You can look at uh, how some of that correlation works. But like th just the fact that we're seeing that um, correlation, I think, is really significant. And yeah, indeed. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, they, the report also asked, you know, where businesses are seeing this effect. Uh, why are they why are they investing in customer education? Well, one is improved customer onboarding and retraining. Um, you know, we hear that pretty commonly. Mm -hmm. We need to. Uh, button up our, our onboarding. We talked to Donna Weber on yeah. a previous episode about the orchestrated onboarding and the role customer education plays there. 62% uh, of the respondents said that that was one of the biggest benefits of customer education, followed by increased product usage and faster time to value. So to me, those are all packaged up, right? It's about having a more streamlined way yeah. to get the customers using the product, uh, using it more over time, uh, and getting to those value points in a more streamlined fashion. Right. Interesting enough, the benefits that were least common were around churn and positive ROI. So in other words, it's hardest to detect that customer education was actually really generating ROI. And you know, Adam, I, I feel this palpably. Like, I know I've had leaders in the past ask me, like, well, can we get to the ROI? Well, like, what's our ROI of a customer education? I'm like, oh, I, 
I, I want to be transparent and how difficult that can be. Like, what do you mean? Like in what context? So interesting. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Really. It's really interesting. And I'll, I'll tell, I'll tell an anecdote uh, at the risk of uh, getting a little closer to our self-imposed time limit here. I was talking to uh, an executive not too long ago, uh, a CRO. And this CRO was looking to invest in customer education. Nice. I believe, I believe she was a CRO. I, I, maybe she was a CCO. Um, either way, she owns all of the essentially like customer facing uh, portions of, of the company's operations. And you know, was thinking about customer education as a way to scale, as a way to drive a more consistent uh, customer experience across uh, their segments. And uh, they have a really large uh, customer base, especially of, of, of self-serve users. So how do we really channel that into more effective product usage? And so they were talking about different modalities and they were talking about different options and ways to approach their, their program. And as she was working cross-functionally with some of the other groups, uh, they were starting to ask questions like, well, you know, what's the ROI on this? Like, why, why do we think that this is something that we should invest in? Why is this something worth taking on? And um, what, what she said to me was, she's, you know, she said, uh, I had a gut, I had a gut feeling that this is something that we need to double down on. This is something that's important to me and it's important to me to advocate for this. Um, so in a way, y- you have to have an executive sponsor who is willing to circumvent some yeah. of those early questions about ROI because you have to build the program before it's really generating those results. I was just so pleased to hear that her instinct as an executive sponsor was to say, no, this is important to us as a company. This is something that we're going to invest in. And when we invest in it, that's how we're going to see the results and be able to measure them. You don't have the ROI case beforehand. And and my comment was, well, yeah, it's like building a product team. When you're building a product team, you don't ask, what's the ROI in me hiring engineers to build my product? you, you, You need to build your product. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> you can't. Oh. The ROI comes later. Yeah. So I don't know. Oh. There's there's definitely some uh, echoes here of the TSIA report. Product adoption is the North Star for most of these programs, but they, they also yeah. look for impact on other metrics like brand awareness, expansion, retention, revenue, market share. Um, and, you know, 48% of the respondents said they saw a measurable impact on product adoption. Uh, renewal rates, customer satisfaction scores or other areas saw measurable impact, but, but there's a, there's a counterbalance here. Isn't there, Dave? Yeah, there is, you know, again, I don't want to add too much to the sidebar, but I I find it interesting. That was a really interesting story about a CRO, you know, like a a C-level exec thinking about that because some of the conversations I get in as well, there's a, there's a mix up between the differentiation between enablement and education. And a lot of times I find enablement is looking in while edu- customer education is looking out. And there's a lot of strategic alignment between the two of those. So the only sidebar comment that I'd make on that is actually when you're thinking about that and you're thinking about the future and building that program and you are an exec, y- you should pay attention, be attentive to that. Like, because yes, getting the customer enabled is, is, and I want to say enabled educated because that it, it's a whole bigger picture. But the internal enablement actually plays into that because it's resonant as internally we understand the product. We can use that as a, you know, a test bed for a lot of our programs, but 
It's yeah. simply knowing where that, you know, like a part of enablement is actually being able to tell direct a customer to your education too. So it's really interesting. Um, so going back to this, the counterbalance, it's absolutely try, right. You know, while more teams are pointing to value and measurable impact, only about 57% of respondents were actually measuring it. 57%. That, that's, you know, mm-hmm. a little more than a half. Uh, that's okay. So in a way that backs up that TSI report where you see high intent to drive, drive product adoption, but less ability to actually be able to measure it. Yeah. And, and in a way, more important for having some of that executive sponsorship, not just to build the program before you have strong ROI calculations, but also to get the resources to be able to do those calculations and to be able to measure the impact. So I don't know. It's it's interesting, Dave. Like It's a similar sample, I think, to TSIAs in the sense that there's a lot of B2B software companies represented. So I'm not surprised to see a lot of similar themes across the reports. Um, both groups of respondents also have at least some focus on monetized education services. I, I would assume, I could be wrong about this, that TSIA has more uh, of a monetized education services population than the Thought Industries report captured. But 43% of the respondents on this report monetize their programs in some ways, primarily a la carte, uh, just selling a la carte offerings. But there were also some uh, subscriptions, some bulk purchases. Uh, so you're seeing you're seeing them find ways to bring their products to market, um, especially for the more tenured programs who are responding to this. Those are the ones who are more likely to monetize. That's really cool. And, and, and I think there's a mix of that. Monetization is actually pretty important. Um, one thing I thought was different, though, in Thought Industries report is that they have a lot of professional associations as well as customers, right? Then the association is pretty much, it's like a kind of in stark contrast from our universe that they definitely include monetization as part of their model, right? And I think that's largely because they, that's much a much bigger piece of what they're trying to do. Yeah, if you're a professional association, being able to train your members and give them development opportunities is exactly what they're they're paying you for. It's like TSIA, yeah, right? TSIA is a professional association. <laughs> they want to train their members. Exactly. Okay, now we're getting too meta. Uh, <laughs> let's let's just let, let's get off that. It's 2021, so of course we're going to talk about the pandemic. Um, if you remember last year's reports, they were all coming out just as the pandemic was hitting. So you were uh-huh. getting a lot of commentary on how people were quickly pivoting. Now we've had a chance to see how companies are doing uh, a year after such dramatic change and where their where their priorities have shifted. So, Dave, what what does the report have to say there? Well, this is great. This is one of the rewarding parts of the report. Seventy seven percent said of the respondents said that online training is now more important. And beyond that, the priorities of those most programs are now around expanding that content enhancing the learning experience with different kinds of content, like moving in-person online and retaining customers in different ways. Now, I can tell you that from practical experience going through this myself, you have too, we've had a a radical shift. Whereas we were going, we're traveling the world, we're going all over the place. We were, you know, in seven different countries at one point in the the year preceding COVID, but now the on-demand, and we've actually introduced a VILT version, a a one-to-many uh, anybody can join live sessions that are just running at a certain time. Those have filled up. The university has exploded and we're still doing training, but now the custom training is more on like in a VILT format. So that's, it, it's really yeah. cool to see. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see. I'm sure next year in the reports, they're going to talk about how uh, in-person training has returned and to what extent it has. 
I think there's, you know, some of the idea that this is the the death of in-person training and the death of the ILT, that's probably a little bit overblown, but it's going to be interesting to see how people reincorporate it as they're able to, um, and to what extent it still remains the center of people's programs. And, and I, and so I, I think it'll, I think it'll come back, but huh. I think it'll, it'll have less prominence as it comes back. It'll be part of the mix. Yeah. I'm looking forward to next year because one of the things that I think about is it opened up a conversation for us where we, many customer education folks know that the ILT works wonderfully, but there's times when you need that in-person touch. And now I think we've given, opened up the space to have that critical conversation and say, when does it provide the most value? Yeah. You know, that's, you I think, more strategic portfolio of offerings. Yeah, like, well, we know we offerings, can do this. Just like online. TSIA said. Yeah. That's really yeah. cool. And so the report also pointed to this, right? They're, so they're, they're saying, what, what are your uh, you know, strategic goals for the next year? And one of the big ones, or uh, in this past year, I think, and, and one of them was actually retaining customers. So think of it, it's a volatile time. People, customers are churning left and right. People are running out of budget. People are running out of operating expense. Um, yeah. What's most important? Retaining your customers so they don't churn. And so that's kind of cool because I'm mean, not that it's happening because it's terrible that it's happening. But what's cool is that um, the leaders of these companies are turning to their customer education teams and saying, Hey, what can you do to make sure that customers don't churn? It's a good opportunity for yeah. customer education to, to step up in, in dark times. So much uncertainty. It just becomes a big issue for companies who were in growth mode or in, are now in protection mode. It's good to protection see mode. that customer education is a valuable way to, to do that, to accelerate that strategy. Yeah, but also, Adam, I think we could say that customer education can do better. You know, most of the people in a good number of people in this report said that fewer respondents said that learners are adequately trained. And that's that pains me. Right. And this is us, the other us's, the the people we're trying to connect. And again, I'll remind you, if you're out there and you're listening to us and this is new to you, reach out to us. We want to learn more from you. Um, But most of us think that we underperform on education customers to get more value, to become product experts, to become product champions. That, that's what we want. Um, and brand champions, I think, is even one. So maybe we're our own biggest critics. Maybe we're actually doing a pretty good job overall. Or that might we might have the alternative that customer education leaders are realizing that same critical point that TSIA made clear, that we really need to do, practice that basketball shot, over and over and over. That, that's why, Adam, I think you and I are kind of similar because we've had a trajectory over the past five, six years. We've gone from program to program to program. We've, been, we've seen the guts of how the programs build and get articulated, and we're seeing trends there. You know, We're getting the fundamentals. That's what many of us are trying to do is like practice that. How do, how do we get the basics in place fast and correctly? And, and, you know, makes sense in the overall landscape. Customer education is growing faster than ever. The pandemic accelerated its importance, accelerated the move to online. Uh, so now there's increased importance placed on the impact that customer education has in, in the mix. Yeah, so you won't be surprised to hear that. According to the report, also the top challenges for respondents were reporting on customer success and revenue metrics. You know, we're kind of talking around that point. Again, tying to customer education efforts to a business impact. Like even measuring the success of education programs was a struggle for a lot of folks. Yeah. So we alluded to this, but the report also gets into where customer education teams report. We get asked this all the time. Where should customer education report? 
Uh, and in fact, we, we got to weigh in on the report. We have a, we have a nice little pull quote uh, in the report itself. But the survey found that 40% of teams reported into customer experience or customer success, which is far more than any other department represented. Yeah, that's, but there's an interesting nuance to that, right? Again, Thought Industries looked at the teams that were more likely to drive a product adoption and growth. And it wasn't the customer experience or customer education or customer success teams. The teams, and this is, this is fun. Actually, this is pretty meaningful to me. The teams that had higher product, product adoption growth were the ones who were either in freestanding departments. You know, what does that mean? We're not uh, ascribed to any particularly department whatsoever. So the customer education were, is a top-level department. Yeah, I mean, that would be refreshing for many of us to see. Or they reported into marketing. Hmm. And, and the, it's inter- it is, it's very interesting and kind of also speaks to the trend of customer experience, customer success teams are often the ones to sponsor customer education. That should definitely continue to happen. But it's interesting to see that when marketing is the one sponsoring it, which is happening more, although it's yeah. not the most common one, uh, there is a correlation to increased product adoption. Now, some of this might be the survey methodology at play. So, for example, if the bulk of the respondents were reporting into CX and, and CS teams, then maybe that's the effect that we're seeing here is their product adoption results averaging out a little bit because the, the median of the report is going to reflect where most of the people reported into anyway. So there's a little bit of like law of averages here. But it's, it's interesting to see the freestanding customer education departments outperforming the average probably means they have more of a seat at the table in driving their goals. But, but what about marketing? Right. What's up with that? Well, marketing teams also seem, they seem like they're good candidates to drive product adoption, not because they're necessarily closest to the customer, right? But because they have higher budgets and more tools to drive an engagement and education for an automation. For example, in, I spent time at Azuqua, which it was a short stint because we got acquired pretty suddenly. And, uh, and that was great. Um, and, and we were a big part of that. But what I found myself having access to was the direct line to the customer, right? I had all these tools to be able to do an email campaign or whatever, but I didn't have to go through a second party or convince everybody because I reported directly to the chief marketing officer. It gave yeah. us so much more power. I, I mean, think about it this way, Adam, that a lot of the time, like we've launched a certification program and as you have, promoting that ends up it's sometimes because you're buried into a different organization. This is a huge win for marketing. I've got a certification. This is a market differentiator for our product. Please take that and run with it. Yeah. Right? Like access but, to marketing can be tough when you're, when you're somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, we even talked about this earlier, right? Like marketing, you are in a, in a state of constantly marketing your own programs. The TSIA report talked about this, uh, I think in the customer journey section, we've all got to get better at marketing our programs and really figuring out how to get them into the hands of our customers. And if we're responsible for doing that ourselves and we don't have a marketing competency, then it's going to be much less likely that they get exposed to our uh, training, that they take the training, and then that the training has the intended effects that we want it to have, which is leading to product adoption. So I think I think there might be something there. 
Um, and so for the customer success leaders who are out there listening to this and are offended right now, I think like the call to action is don't don't stop <laughs> sponsoring right. customer education and like just give it to your friends in marketing. I don't think that's the right answer, but it's you are probably going to need to really drive alliances with the marketing team to make sure that they understand the importance yeah. of customer education and are really on board to promote it as if they had developed it themselves. Well put. That's what I think. Anyway. I like that. <laughs> okay, final topic. Final topic. We're, we're out of time. Uh, Thought Industries asked what goals customer education pro- pro- uh, programs had for the year ahead. Compared to last year's results, the top priorities are largely the same and have even increased in terms of the percentage of respondents. So the things that were like top categories before, now just more people are saying that it's the top category for them. Uh, what is that? Primarily expanding content uh, beyond feature functionality and beyond onboarding. Uh, so really you know, just expanding the scope of what customer education does. It's pretty yeah, common. Right? Cool. It's also really common. Every, yeah, every, everybody who's built a program wants to keep expanding it, maintaining it, creating more offerings to their customers. And once you've solved the problem of how we, how do we streamline onboarding? You know, that's and going back to Donna. That's super important to do. Yeah. Then the you start thing that they about, said they wanted to create a customer education program to do in this report even. Yeah. Then you start thinking about what, how to create more training that drives maturity. And that's one that I think that is a, that's lesser, obvi- uh, is, is not as nearly obvious to anybody um, that like, what are the kinds of things that come next? You know, it's, you're talking about 200 level, 300 level, things like that. Yeah. And this is exactly the point the TSIA report was making about creating content that ties to the customer journey, not just having it all relate to onboarding. You have to look beyond onboarding. Right. And, and and we're kind of lightning round mode here. Another big theme is, which has jumped more than any other priority from last year in particular, is incorporating online training within the platform and the product itself. You know, in-product education continues to be a hot topic. I know we're, we're talking about all the time. And it ties to TSIA's findings too, right? That about consumption, about delivery. Your product is a great channel in and of itself to drive customer, you know, education consumption and make customers aware of what kind of training might be available to them anytime. You know, you're in the product every, or your customers are in the product. What better way to gain their attention? Doesn't mean you can't have a separate university or something, but go micro, get uh, get some little bits of, uh, of content. Uh, yeah, I, it's, it's, it's the front door. It's a channel to deliver customer education and yeah. to expose those offerings to customers who might not otherwise know that they exist. You got it. And so the final priority for the year ahead was really around setting goals around measuring ROI. Again, not surprising given everything that we've talked about. Uh, there are some who are looking to monetize training. Uh, again, ties very closely to the TSIA theme of developing offerings. Uh, these all point to customer education teams looking to mature and expand over time. But like, just again, even more broadly, thinking about these two reports put up against each other, it's amazing how many uh, areas of overlap they have. They tell very similar stories just from two different perspectives. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think Adam, we're starting to wrap up. You know, I, I, I did want to say this again, a couple of things again, that, that we should tap on uh, one of them again, make sure you get out there and download those reports, you know, save them, read them, inhale them. They're really good. Those, they should be required reading. Share them with your manager, share them with your senior leadership because they're really important. Um, the other thing that I, I just wanted to take a moment, and I said this earlier in our, our discussion, that in speaking to new leaders or speaking to leaders who are building a program and hiring that first customer education leader, 
I, I think this is a PSA. You may get FOMO, you know, that fear of missing out on something cool. Hey, let's get a customer education program, check the box. No, go back and really think about building a program with intention. Um, we, again, we talked about that previously, but think about what problem you're trying to solve. What are your customers asking for before you really get into building that program and hiring somebody right off the cuff? It, it, it will help that person become and develop a, a good leader and develop into that role. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, with more customer education programs coming out than ever, I think having that vision, having that perspective, really knowing what the goal is, uh, yeah, you can't you can't leave it to faith just to <laughs> to sort it all out. So I love I love that PSA, Dave, and I think this takes us to our outro. Woohoo! All right, <laughs> all right, let's go do it. If you, listener, want to learn more, then we have a podcast website at customer.education, simplest URL in the world, uh, where you can find show notes and other material. On Twitter, I am at Avramescu. And I am at Dave Darrington. We're both on LinkedIn. You probably know it, but reach out to us. Special thanks to the wonderful Alan Coda for our theme music, which still is amazing. And if this helped you out, let's take a moment here to say... Make sure you subscribe in your podcatcher of choice. Now we actually have a YouTube channel as well. Um, please consider leaving us a review. We haven't seen too many reviews recently. We'd like to change that. So if you have a moment, you listen to this episode, you go, wow, this really helped me out. Well, help us out by making us a review, giving us five stars, telling us, telling the world why you think this is great. And let's close it out. To our audience, thanks for joining us. Go out and educate experiment, and find your people. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.